and welcome to the Forum Club, a new legacy, we'll call it, in honor of the first look at LeBron James's forthcoming Space Jam, a new legacy. I'm joined by Jovan Buha and Anthony Slater. Guys, how excited are we as we as we get into this all-star break for Space Jam 2? When is that being released? I'm out, I'm oh, out July. Of touch. We've, we, have, we, we have so much time to prepare. We can have like <laughs> entire off-season episodes dedicated to Space Jam 2. But we got a look at uh, LeBron with Tweety and Bugs Bunny and a little glimpse of the plot today on the line. I, think, so I, I assume I know the know. plot already, right? I mean, it's the, is it the same as the first one? Aliens are playing LeBron James and some Looney Tunes for, for control of Earth. I think this one, uh, LeBron gets pulled into an AI alternate reality, and then they have to basketball their way out of it. Sounds pretty similar. I, I mean, let me when the movie comes out, I'm in. I, I'm, I'm not trailer watching, though. I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm resting on my All-Star break. I will not be scrolling YouTube for Space Jam trailers. We don't even have a trailer yet. This is pre-trailer. Then I'm really not interested. This is photo, photos before the trailer. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm excited. I, I, I was... Uh, a young little lad when uh, Space Jam came out, so I, I have some fond memories of it, and it was a, definitely a part of my childhood. So uh, the the nostalgia factor for me makes me excited. I saw Space Jam at the Coliseum Theater in Tillamook, Oregon, with my parents. I remember it well. Who are, do we know which stars' uh, powers are being stolen? Um, I think Clay Thompson's in, and I, I remember. I was going to say, that. I thought Clay. Yeah, but Clay like Clay's tore his ACL and then was like <laughs> so on like, set. It, it, a, a little too real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. But I mean, listen, I mean, you know, it's bringing this home right now. I mean, in the last couple of months, maybe the maybe the aliens store, stole KCP's basketball powers. He's not had a great first half. What do you guys think about that? It'd be an interesting player to steal the powers of. <laughs> Wouldn't be my first choice. They just want to be like a, a role playing <laughs> shooting guard. <laughs> hey, he gets paid well, though. I guess. Yeah, Listen, even 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 in the AI, you need you need three and D wing wing guys to, to, <laughs> to compete against the monsters. So. No, listen, okay. Enough Space Jam nonsense. We will talk about this when there's actually a movie. Um, and listen, by the way, I'm still bitter like that LeBron did not ask me to be an extra in this film. Like there are going to be reporters in this movie, just like there were in Space Jam. Do we know 1. who? And I well, I don't know that they're going to be real reporters. They're going to be oh, like these, you know, these struggling Hollywood actors who get cast as, you know, reporters from the Los Angeles, the, the Los Angeles Herald or whatever. And you had you had you had great candidates right there on the other side of the Zoom from you, LeBron. We could have been cast in Space Jam. And listen, it's not too late. I mean, we still have about five months before the movie comes out. So I mean, I am available. Your people can contact my people. I'm happy to, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, you know, negotiate uh, a day rate. Yo, but, he's uh, trying to steal good-paying jobs from, <laughs> from hardworking actors baristas. trying to break into the industry. You guys could have a nice mustache ban- uh, banter. <laughs> it's uh, just carry it over from the zooms. Why wouldn't you want Burt Reynolds in Space Jam too? <laughs> you guys, you mentioned KCP. Um, what's up with him? Uh, so I, I would say, as someone who did not cover this team previously, uh, but. I would say was somewhat involved in Lakers Twitter and you know following people and just kind of aware of what was going on with the team. Did feel like KCP last year and really the last few years has been one of these frustrating guys where uh, you know he, he's just sort of inconsistent and he goes through stretches where he's 
really productive and he goes through stretches where he's not. And obviously in the postseason, I think he overall was probably the Lakers third best and, and most consistent player. Uh, so it, it felt like he had kind of taken that next step into, you know, he, he got paid, he, he got some long-term security. It wasn't any more of these one-year deals. And it was sort of like, okay, you're the starting shooting guard. You are the three and D fixture on this team. And, you know, we, we added some new pieces, but you're still going to be part of the closing group. You're still a really important uh, component of this team. And he started the season off well, like, you know, he was shooting 50 plus percent for, you know, almost the first month on threes. But since then, there's just been this massive regression where uh, I think he's still at, you know, 40 percent or so for, for the season. But that is coming off of, you know, the past month and a half of, of shooting, you know, I, I don't know, somewhere around 35 percent. So. He hasn't been bad. I think fans just kind of love to overreact with some of the stuff with KCP. But I think the, my only concern with it is you, you've seen him second guess open looks and, and, and just let some of that stuff creep into his psyche. And that's where it's one thing if you're taking shots and just missing them, like you're going to regress positively and, and get back to your norm. But when it's actually affecting your shot selection and, and you're passing up open looks, I think that's when it becomes detrimental. And that would be my only concern with KCP is that some of this stuff, it seems like has gotten into his head a little bit and made him not his best version. Let me just um, kind of crystallize what you're talking about a little bit, Jovan. The first, his first 12 games of the season uh, through the Lakers win at Milwaukee, he was shooting 56, 56% from three. Since then, which is 21 games, he's shot like 28% from three. Oof, so it's just been, it's, it completely, it's completely flipped. Um, and, and, you know, this, you're right. I mean, it's, I, I actually kind of hate this for KCP um, because he was, you know, he has been such a maligned figure uh, among Lakers fans, you know, ever since he got here, you know, he kind of carried the baggage of being the clutch guy who was here to sort of pave the way for LeBron, you know, establish a relationship between Rich Paul and the Lakers, which I think is absolutely what ended up happening. Um, and kept getting these one-year contracts and not playing particularly well, but always getting another contract. Then he had a great playoffs. And I mean, I, I'm with you, Yovan. He was the third best player that the Lakers had in the, in, the, in the bubble. Or maybe that was, sorry, Slater, you. But um, it was, you know, really, you know, a really kind of great, I thought, validation for kind of what he'd been through, you know, in his first three years with the Lakers. And then he started off hot, and he has just gone ice cold. So he's a guy who I think, you know, the break will be good for. He's actually had a couple of stronger games uh, since, um, you know, it, it, you know, of late, you know, he, he was, he was two for two from three last night in the game against Sacramento. He had, um, he had a two game stretch last week when he was, uh, let's see, seven of 13 over, over two games from three, you know? And, and so I, I think, I think there's, you know, there's still something there, but he's, he's one of the guys who's definitely feeling the effects of, of this season. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I think in general, just, you know, broadening the lens a bit, this break is so important for the Lakers. Um, and and I think every team in the league feels that way. Every team in the league feels like they've been under, you know, kind of an unprecedented burden um, over the last year and a half. But the Lakers just haven't gotten breaks. You know, they've kind of been in in-season mode since September of 2019. And I think that this, um, you know, this break, even though it's only eight days and, you know, isn't as much time as the 71-day offseason, is actually going to be more beneficial to them than a 71 day off season because they didn't have a chance to unplug 71 days was more about the stress and the quick turnaround. You know, these eight days they can actually unplug and kind of step away from basketball. And I think that's just so important for this team. Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, Damian Lillard, 
Chris Paul, Diana Taurasi, by the way. If uh, for, for those Space Jam. Uh, How about Kyle just, Kuzma? <laughs> they stole the powers from Kyle Kuzma. You know, you, you talk about a role player playing his role well. You know, maybe maybe that is a correct choice. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. What are the two biggest uh, positive storylines and two biggest negative storylines in your guys' opinion as you, you know, in the first half? You know, okay, so the most positive storylines, I think, in, in the first half would be the um, the emergence of THT and the durability of LeBron. The fact that LeBron has been, you know, playing at an MVP level um, and has not really slowed down, has not needed to rest. I know he took last night's game off uh, against Sacramento, but let's not get carried away. I mean, that was just baked in to give him a slightly longer All Star break. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think that you know LeBron is is going to start missing games in the second half either. I think the fact that he you know it has been so well equipped at least so far to kind of navigate this season um, and play the way he is playing bodes really well for the Lakers' future. Uh, negative storyline, I think, would be the front court. You know, the Marc Gasol, Montrez Harrell combination has has been suspect, to say the least. Um, and obviously, an upgrade is is at least being considered. And then, um, you know, I think I think just the shooting, the three point shooting. I mean, this team, you know, last year the Lakers were built to be a better three point shooting team, and they still struggled. You know, Danny Green. Um, you know, didn't really deliver. And the Lakers thought they had upgraded this year. And they went out and got Wesley Matthews, who's, you know, who has really struggled to integrate and and make a mark on this team. You know, this just isn't the three-point shooting juggernaut that I think they thought they were going to be. And early on in the year, it looked like one. And I know our friend Marcus Thompson wrote a, um, you know, a very complimentary piece about LeBron's three-point accuracy. And as Sam Amick wrote in a subsequent piece in The Athletic, ever since Marcus wrote that, LeBron's shooting like something like negative 30% from three. I'm pretty sure that's it. It's in the negatives. What's he down um, to, and, by the way, this uh, season? I'm going to have to look. I'm going to have to look. Give me one. Give me un momento. You mentioned K- THT, but you know you can give me the LeBron three-point percentage when you get it. But has he not – he's kind of from – you know, obviously he has a really eye-popping preseason that made you go – Got to get him in the rotation. Got to find minutes, which Vogel did. I do think he has had nice moments even early in the season. That momentum seemed to carry. But as his role has grown a bit more lately, he I think he's shown his limitations. Would you guys agree? Like I, I don't think at least the last batch of games hasn't been that positive from him. Yeah, I think – the the positives with THT for me are you know this team I think sometimes can struggle with dribble penetration and going north to south and you know obviously LeBron and, and AD are really good at that um, Dennis can do that you know Trez can do that depending on where he catches the ball 
but the rest of the guys are, are rather limited and and you know kind of dependent on LeBron creating shots for them or or AD finding them out of a double in the post. And THT is that one kind of shot of energy off the bench that he gets downhill. Like that his is right now his NBA strength is he can get into the paint almost at will. It's just what happens when he's in the paint. Um, and, and looking at uh, so you, you mentioned the, the last batch of games uh, over the last eight games. He's averaging 20 minutes a game, has played double-digit minutes in all eight of those. So that's why I'm, I'm highlighting those. Uh, so 20 minutes a game, but 42.9% shooting, including 30% on threes, and 2.8 assists to 1.5 turnovers. So he's still struggling with some of the decision-making stuff. Um, you know, when he is getting into the paint, when he is dealing with multiple bodies, he doesn't always know what to do. And it's either forcing up a floater or it's trying to kick out a pass that isn't there or that he thought was there, but misread it. So he's still struggling with some of the decision-making stuff, but that's what comes with being a 20-year-old uh, you know, on a contending team and in somewhat of a limited role and just kind of going through those growing pains. So I think I'm more you know optimistic on, on THT after seeing some of this stuff, but defensively, he gets lost off the ball. Like I, I think that is his biggest weakness right now is he is a – poor off-ball defender if, if you watch the film on him he just you know does not navigate screens well he, he loses his guy on backdoor cuts or, or flare screens uh, and then on the ball um he, he no one respects a shot and, and you know he's shooting 28 on threes for the year guys play off of him so i, I think until he fixes those two aspects of his game it's going to be hard to be more than like the eighth or ninth guy on this team but i think overall his stock is trending upward. 28%'s a problem. I have a LeBron number for you. Yeah. Hold on. LeBron. So through the first uh 20 games of the season, LeBron was shooting 41% from three. In the last 16, he's shooting 28% and his overall numbers down to 35. So um he is he, like KCP, has just plummeted. Yeah. I mean LeBron that 35 is LeBron, though, right? That's, it, that's about know? right. Yeah, that's about right. So the THT thing, if I can address yeah. that, is is sort of interesting just because last year. I think you could really make a case that THT was um, was was how the Lakers won Game Two against Houston. Um, there was a stretch where he came in and played, I think, six minutes in the second quarter and was plus like nine, scored five points, and it was a real like to me kind of like series shifting, um, you know, quarter. Now, I mean, they might win that that series anyway; they probably do. But I thought you know the ro- the role he played coming in and kind of changing the tempo of that game was really uh, seismic to that series, and and. Frank Vogel has talked a lot this year about wanting to put him in, you know, those high leverage situations again this year to kind of get him kind of conditioned for a bigger role in the, in the, in the postseason. But, you know, because of the limitations that we're talking about and because of, you know, Jovan talking about teams not respecting his shot, I, I wonder if THT, because we always talk about THT as the guy who can win you a playoff game. I feel like he is becoming enough of a known commodity that teams are going to know how to, uh, marginalize what he does in those situations. And I'm not sure that he's quite the weapon in the postseason this year that he was even last year when he wasn't even on the scouting report. You know, as the break in the season, kind of a chance to, to step back and zoom out. I'm curious about his future because there was a concern like he might be, you know, if he's really what he's shown in the preseason, what do you have, like a 35-point game or something like that against the Clippers in the preseason? And then some nice moments early. Um, it was he's – a, he's a restricted free agent like now because he's, uh, a, you know, a second-round pick basically this summer. I shouldn't say now. But – and I think it might have been Brian Windhorst on a podcast, but somebody was mentioning, like, the, Bill, I think you might have even said this 
that there's like rumblings that there's other teams like like they might right. line up 15 million 20 million dollar type contract for him or you know i think there is that uh god what's what's that rule called it's, it's the, the, one- the 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 arenas rule, arenas so rule. there you go i should know that i cover the warriors the arena that's how they lost gilbert arenas so i was just gonna say that so technically he can't get more than i want to say it might be 8.5 million or, or it's either 8.5 million or the mid-level somewhere around there can be his starting salary uh, but if he signs a four-year deal, they can, can backload it, yeah, with, can, with with like a fifteen to twenty million dollars on, on on the last two years. So um, it, he could be looking at something like four years, sixty million, where the first couple years are like you know sixteen, eighteen million total, and then it's backloaded another. 20 million each yeah and they might be put in an odd situation particularly if he you know if he kind of shows some of the flaws he's showing now and like helps a little bit in the playoffs but if they get into the offseason it reminds me a little bit maybe of that tyler johnson situation that miami went through where they got to restrict your agency. they wanted to keep tyler johnson he was a second round pick that had shown some flashes but the nets you know and there are going to be a lot of teams out there that are like man you know we have a bunch of cap space let's take a swing on a guy like daylon horton tucker and i think they gave tyler johnson something like four years 60 million did what you're talking about where you go mid-level mid-level and then you backload it give huge money on the back end um and tyler johnson did proved to not be very good i mean he was like cut by the end of that contract and miami didn't match it because they weren't sure you know it was like they wanted tyler johnson around is like hey they're developing him but um they didn't want to give him that type of money and as the lakers have to carefully navigate you know their salary cap and the need uh to continue to 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 keep strong cores around davis and lebron they might be walking into a curious situation with him uh, you know, in the off season, I just do not see him leaving. Like, you know, for a variety of reasons. What if but he like, gets I, absolute payday slapped on the table? I mean, I, listen, listen, man. Like nobody, like since KCP was became the first clutch client to sign with the Lakers, there has never been a clutch client who walked in the door who also walked out, with the exception of like Dion Waiters. So I, you know, listen. I, I, it's certainly possible. I hear you. I think the Lakers are more likely to trade KCP. Well, maybe not KCP. I think the Lakers are more likely to trade Kyle Kuzma and try to open up a a even bigger role for THT than to than to let let, let him walk. Not just Is that because risky, of the though? oh, there's Kyle definitely Kuzma's a, risk. a better you, player you, than THT got, right you, now. You, 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 have, you have to you have to develop you have to develop him as you know as a, a three point shooter. He needs to expand his offensive game. But he's 20 years old. You know he has great physical tools. Um, I, you know, I think the Tyler Johnson comp is is absolutely um, apt and, you know, should should strike fear in anyone who thinks the Lakers are going to build around THT. But I just have a really hard time seeing them letting him go. And you go back to, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, Sam Amick shared uh, on his podcast a few months ago, an anecdote from the bubble when he bumped into Frank Vogel. Uh, and Vogel had sort of hinted at, you know, hey, if, depending on the state of our roster next year, THT is going to start for us. Like, that's how highly they view him. And I think, you know, you've seen his limitations in his bigger role this year. And and I, um, you know, I think everyone's aware of those. But in terms of, like, what he can be going forward, I mean, y- you do have to groom him and put him in positions where he can be that that guy. And I think the Lakers view him as that. So I just I have a hard time seeing them almost not matching anything. You know, I think I think that they are over a barrel in a sense where they're going to um, do anything they can to keep him. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, so th- this is a question I've gotten a couple times when I'm doing the the, the post game show. Uh, the, the Lakers have multiple free agents this offseason with, with I think the three most notable being Dennis, uh, Talon, and Alex. 
How would you prioritize those three? And what are the odds that all three are back or two of the three are back or I guess one of the three, like, you know, what, what are the odds they retain all three? And then how would you prioritize keeping those three players? Okay, let me ask you guys, how willing do you think ownership is to go deep into the tax? Be, you know, I'm dealing with it with the Warriors where they have the most expensive roster in NBA history this season. And if they want to retain a guy like Kelly Oubre, who should be, you know, a six man next year, he'd help. They would continue to have to pay these just absolutely outrageous luxury tax bills. We're talking about you paying Kelly Oubre 14 million, but he's really costing you like 80 million essentially because of all the, the different tax penalties. You know, if you keep Schroeder and give, you know, extend him, Caruso is going to get paid, you know, and I don't mean he's going to get like max, but like, you know, somebody might give Caruso what, eight, 10, 12 million. I mean, like there's, there is cap space out there. This For summer. sure. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we're talking about Horton Tucker, maybe getting some kind of poison pill contract. The war or the Lakers do have like their rights. So you could, you know, it's not like you're, you can't, but you're number one, you're going to have to decide like, is this the roster that you you know some of that may depend on it definitely will depend on how they do in the playoffs right if they if they win That's the title going, yeah yeah if they win the title there's usually feel good feelings okay we got to pay all these guys if it doesn't work maybe you're like hey we need to kind of shake up this mix now i mean you guys can answer maybe the one two three how you'd prioritize but i also was just wanting to know like how how consistently deep into the repeater tax do you think you know genie bus is willing to go i mean my sense from talking to genie over the years you know there is no there will be no co- no expense spared to win championships, you know, and, and that and some of that's you know, on the back end in terms of facilities and, you know, um, staff that doesn't affect the salary cap. But when it comes to, um, you know, maintaining this level and being a championship contender for years to come, um, I think she views that as an investment in the family business. I mean, she always talked about. You know, you know, Dr. Buss always talked about how, you know, Kobe Bryant might make $20 million, but was worth 80 to the Lakers, to the Lakers. And like, you can extrapolate that into modern, modern currency. Um, so I think, you know, for the Lakers to be, you know, contending for championships, the value is just un, um, almost un, uh, quantifiable they need fans in staples though. Well, they, they do. And listen, we are, so we are talking about, and, and you know, we are talking about one of the few remaining kind of mom and pop type uh, NBA franchises. I know the Lakers are, you know, the NBA's glamour franchise, but they are still, you know, owned by the family that has owned them since 1979. And, you know, that is unique in, in the NBA in a lot of ways. And so they don't have Silicon Valley money. They don't have, you know, the deep, the deep, deep, deep independent wealth pockets of, you know, the Clippers or now the Utah Jazz even, which was kind of similar in terms of ownership the uh, deep this pocketed year. Utah Jazz, large market. Did you see their the little? The Jazz have a billionaire now. They have a billionaire now. Did you see the the whole like Rudy Gobert just like absolute rant about like the way that referees are just they they don't want the Jazz to win. I'm sorry, you just it was you, it was interesting. Like, I'll, I'll, I will ad- I will address this as a former Utah resident. Oh, here we go, Jazz, Yo, are You ready for this? He's gonna agree with Rudy Gobert. <laughs> no, it, it, what I was gonna say is it was it was funny to me in that. Like the 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 sentiments of that fan base and sort of the um the 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 Napoleon syndrome of that fan base has rubbed off on its players. And I didn't necessarily expect that. I didn't expect to hear, you know, the players say, Oh, the league doesn't want the Jazz to win and there's a conspiracy against the Jazz. That was which like a is post-game like, if, meltdown. If you follow like Utah fans on Twitter, like that is a 
that is a common theme that um, that you know that, that that the Jazz don't get any respect, and I was really surprised to hear professional athletes basically. Um, channeling their fan base's Twitter angst into post-game comments and uh, certainly fines that will be forthcoming. I don't mind being pissed off about particular calls and and criticizing, hey, you know, Absolutely. I wasn't slapped yeah. on the arm. Hey, that was a really bad, you know, that guy did step out of bounds or didn't. But this, like, the idea that it's, like, conspiratorial, like, the NBA needs the Utah Jazz to lose in Philadelphia during this regular season game. Like, they must lose this game. Like, you know, maybe you can try to convince like a conspiratorial you're up like 3-2 in the game six, like you're the Sacramento Kings and the NBA really wants the Lakers to make the finals or something like that. But a regular season game in Philadelphia, I'm sorry, there's no conspiracy. Going also, on. also like you are not the little brother in the NBA right now, Utah. You just won 21 out of 22 games or something like that. You have, are at the top of everyone's power rankings. Like right now, I understand that like people still think the Lakers, Clippers, you know, are maybe are bigger threats in the playoffs. But right now, the Utah Jazz have been getting a ton of kudos for where they are in the league. And it's it's a terrible time to start talking about how you don't get any respect when everybody has been really gushing over everything that has been built there. That's thought it was a bad look. Yes. I, and Jovan, I apologize. Your original question was about Dennis <laughs> Schroeder, THT, and Caruso and how the Lakers should prioritize them. I have now spun it and, and spun Bill into a uh, rant about the a Utah Jazz. A lather. Yeah, well, Utah Jazz fans specifically. Hey, hey, I get it. I get it too. I covered the Thunder for a few years. You know, that's a that's a small market fan base that has similar, you know, us against the world type vibes. But um, I think I would prioritize Schroeder one, Caruso two, Tht three. And I mean, that might sound a little bit backwards because you want to relayer the roster. Youth matters, but in my opinion, with the assumption that the Lakers are going to really kind of be, you know, we're heading towards the end of LeBron's title window, right? I mean, we, I, I would assume. People need to stop assuming things about LeBron. Yeah. You know what happens okay. when you assume. I guess my point is like win now matters more than win in four years from now. And win next season matters more than like the growth of THT. Now, I think it's very important that they do that. It's, it's going to be a help either as a trade piece or a helpful piece. But I just mean like I think they should – prioritize retaining the players who help them win next season more than the players that could help them win three, four seasons from now. That's just my opinion. Yeah. My initial, when I got asked this on on the pod and my initial answer was Alex won and then Dennis or THT just kind of depending on their performance over the second half of the season and and the playoffs. But I think I'm with you. I'm I'm coming around more to, to Dennis. I mean, I think at that point, uh, he, he was going through a rough patch offensively and he's kind of turned it around the, the past couple of weeks with, with guys out of the lineup. Um, I, but I, I think you made a good point earlier where it's really going to come down to the playoffs, right? Because if if Dennis can be that third offensive guy in the postseason, I think it's a no-brainer. You, you have to retain him. And there's a chance that you know they, they extend him be, before. I, I don't know exactly when the extension deadline is, but as of a couple of weeks ago, he was extension eligible so, you know, there's a chance that by next week, couple weeks, few weeks, he's extended and, and this situation is taken care of. But uh, I, I do think with, with Dennis, it's just going to come down to can he be the third offensive guy because he's probably going to be paid that way. You know, he's looks like he's asking for 18 to 20 million uh, as has been reported, uh, you know, annually. So if you're paying him that level, he's your starting point guard. He is the third offensive guy. 
I don't know if he's quite at that level. I think we'll see over yeah. the next few months. Uh, and then Alex and THC, I, I think those two you just try to retain as long as they don't get a ridiculous offer and it's something reasonable. You know, eight to ten million. I, I think you retain both of them. You know, I know the Warriors were interested in Caruso last time he was a free agent, um, and I there there are some teams he would help the Warriors next season. And there are some other teams he'd help. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, you know, I'm, I agree with kind of the elements of what both of you said. I mean, Schroeder, I, I worry a little bit about giving him, you know, the $20 million that he's probably looking for. Um, I feel like maybe, I don't know. Is he the most replaceable of the three? Is his skill set the most replaceable of the three? I don't think so. He scores. It's not easy to, to score and playmake in the league. Yeah. You know, I know. I know a team that's having some issues with that right now. Kind of that secondary... <laughs> You know, yeah. the Lakers had that issue last year. Now they won the title anyways because they just did it off kind of like that power right. defense mentality. But the reason, I mean, I don't know. Do you think what have you thought about Schroeder through, this, through half a season? I mean, do you think he's lived up to what? I think he's mostly lived up to it. I mean, he's been he's been a little hot and cold, but I mean, he also is in kind of a it's a strange role being the point guard of a team when you're not the primary ball handler of the team. So I think he's kind of been adjusting, and I think he's done a good job with it. I I I think he's been a good fit. Um, you know, so I, you know, depending on the price point, I think is kind of where these these debates are going to be decided. But you know, I, you know, I, I look at Schroeder probably as the best of the three, and so you, probably the most important. And then Caruso, you know, I would rather have Caruso than Tht right now. But when you're talking about you know locking him up long term, you've got LeBron and AD for several years more. Um, you know, I think there is some duplication in role at least between THT and and Caruso and THT has much greater upside so as much as important as Alex Caruso is to this team just started game six of the finals last year um obviously you try to retain both of them but if you had to choose I'm not sure that you don't you don't you don't choose THT you know LeBron has historically cared a lot more about the right now than the upside though you know it's like him he went to Cleveland trade Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love right now you know, go get veterans. You know, but trade by next year, THT is going to be a third year. Like by next year, T- T- Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be a third year Who, player in the league. Who's going to be a- Kyle Kuzma was a third year player in the league last this year. This is just the question I see LeBron asking himself. If it comes down to the point where they say like it's one or the other, LeBron, which one? I would see him going. Who is a better player right now for us? Who will help us win this season's title? Yeah. yeah. And whatever the answer to that is would be, I would assume LeBron's answer because he, you know, he he probably doesn't care about like six season THT like taking any type of mantle. He cares about just winning this season's title, and then next season he'll care about winning that season's title. I mean, that's just historically how he's operated. That's why he's left franchises and kind of left them in the dust, right? Because he's like expended all of their assets to get win now help, right? So, I mean, and THT's a, you know, he's not like a super big project, but he kind of is. I don't know. Well, we're also talking about complimentary players. There's a big difference between like going to battle, you know, in, in the East, you know, six years ago or whatever it was with Andrew Wiggins as your third star versus going out and getting uh, 
going out and getting uh, Kevin Love. I mean, he, the core of this team is intact. No, no doubt. You know, but I it's, guess it's intact with Anthony Davis. And yeah, I understand. I, under, I understand your point. I just think that like you're talking, you're talking about a 20 minute per night. Yeah. You know, off the bench guard. No doubt. But like when he has open roster spots, like going in the bubble, when he has open roster spot on a LeBron team, it never seems to be, let's go, go try to get a guy from the G league sure. that has upside that like, you know, he's young and he could help. It's like J.R. Smith, Deion waiters, you know, it's like, go get me veterans who I know what they are. So, you know, JaVale McGee, Dwight, Howard like DeMarcus Cousins it's always those type of guys that he believes he knows what they are and he thinks they can help more than a project the thing with all these guys all three of them that makes that makes it hard for me to see them like willingly letting one of them go making the choice to let one of them go is they were all sort of Rob Palinka and staff finds I mean Dennis Schroeder you know is obviously a known commodity but like you know pulling off the trade to get him you know, that was, you know, maybe the best, maybe, you know, aside from the, the Anthony Davis trade, which was just pushing chips until New Orleans said yes. You know, the Schroeder trade was probably the the the, the shrewdest deal that, that Rob Palinka has made to date as general manager of the Lakers. And and but then Caruso, kind of the same thing. I mean, that's a guy who was kind of toiling with the OKC blue, you know, and, and the and the. And the G League, uh, you know, operation brought him to South Bay and like turned him into a you know credible NBA player, two way contract, you know, turned into what he is now. And same with Taylor Horton Tucker. I mean, you grab you grab that guy at forty eight in the draft. Uh, you don't want to see him leave. I mean, you he's obviously a guy you trust. So I, those are all three guys that I see the Lakers kind of being in love with because of um, you know the the risks they took to bring them in and to develop them. And, and they've all kind of landed. Yeah. Front offices fall in love with their wins. They always do. I was going to say to, uh, to jump back multiple questions. Um, I, I, I wanted to agree with bill in his two positives and two negatives. Um, oh my God. That was like nine seconds. <laughs> <I know>. ago. <laughs> well, I, I never gave my answer. So I, I wanted to just say I have that a different I, negative, but I want to hear yours first. So, I mean, I, I think my, my two negatives for sure are the rim protection and the three point shooting. Uh, which at the beginning of the season, they, they did have a stretch where it looked like those weren't going to be concerns. And it was like, oh, well, you know, the, everything's fine. But um, looking at it, like, you know, they, they really only have two above average shooters in the rotation right now, KCP and Alex. And everyone else is 36% or, or lower, which just is, you know, basically average to below average shooting. And I think... I know there was an element of this last season with this team where there was some concern of can they make shots, you know, at the highest level? Can these guys space the floor around LeBron and AD? Can they keep defenses honest? And they answered the call last year, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to answer the call this year. So I, I do think if I'm looking at in a macro macro sense, my biggest concern with this team is can you just double LeBron and AD shade over to them? focus on those two guys. And yes, they're still going to score. They're still going to get their 28, 32, whatever. LeBron will still get his triple doubles. But if these guys can't keep defenses honest and and hit shots at a reasonable rate, I mean, mean, they just shot, I think, something around 30% on threes for the entire month of February. They were last in the NBA. Like, I don't expect that to carry over. But that, you know, that to me is a, a huge thing in, in terms of can this team just generate enough offense with their shooting? Uh, and, and maybe they need an upgrade of, of some sort, a, a guy that's better th- than Wes or, or KCP or, or Talon as a shooter. Like that might be their biggest need at this point. 
and then the rim protection, uh, they, they've actually stabilized in terms of percentage. They're, they're now giving up the 12th best percentage. So that's, you know, decent. Uh, but, but they're still bottom five in, in makes allowed and bottom five in attempts allowed. So those, you know, two figures are very concerning in terms of just, you know, teams are living at the rim against them uh, in, in ways that the top defense in the NBA should not be allowing. And then offensively, positively, like I would say Talon uh, looks like a, at least at a minimum, a, a future, you know, key role player for this team. And then LeBron, I mean, I, I think when it, when it comes down to it, if you're going to be optimistic about the Lakers, it's that they have LeBron James, the best player in the league and Anthony Davis, another top five, top seven player. And, uh, nothing, <laughs> the shooting doesn't matter. The rim protection doesn't matter. Like when you have two guys at that level and the fact that LeBron has carried that over, uh, t- to me, that would be what, what encourages me. I, I think the most. Yeah. LeBron's certainly like an obvious, like one, a positive, you know, the, every single season he shows his prime is continuing. You just kind of flick him another year down the road as, as basically best player in the world, most likely to, to lead a team to the title Two, I might go Kuzma. Go ahead. Okay. Go for it. Nope. You're good. You're good. I was just gonna say good for LeBron. Like not that he was ever like truly washed, but like, I mean, you come off that groin injury two years ago, Slater, you were there when he went down. I mean, I think there was a, there was a lot of reason to really question whether or not he was going to ever be, you know, king of the mountain ever again. There was and a thought his his stint in L.A. might be a disappointment, you know, for it, sure. Not that he wasn't going to be awful, but it's just like uh, he might not win a title in L.A. And now we're talking about maybe back to back. And the fact that, he, you know, he's you know, he is in the MVP conversation. I don't know. You know, we've talked about whether or not this stretch without A.D. was going to um, derail his MVP bid. I I don't know if that has happened yet. I mean, I I think that narrative wise, I mean, obviously they're they're falling out of you know contention in the West. I mean, falling out of contention for the one seed in the West. But I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that he won't still be in the conversation yeah. at the end of the year. The bigger thing to me than just even the MVP conversation either is like if the whenever the playoffs start, if they started tomorrow, like he's the most feared player still in the league, regardless of no if question. he wins the MVP or not. You know, Embiid might win the MVP, but we're not going in the playoffs saying like. I'd rather have Joel Embiid leading my team than LeBron James to, to you know to try to win the title. So yes, he's a w- obvious positive. I mentioned Kuzma because I think Kuzma signing that reasonable deal and then playing like a guy who's like earning a reasonable deal as a reasonable role player doing his job is very positive for them because I think we all question if that would ever come to pass and it just kind of has really ever since the bubble um, and. Negative wise, I mean, I'm with you guys on all that, but to me, the glaring, blinking negative is the concern about Anthony Davis. I mean, when we mentioned, I feel less confident about the Lakers winning the title than I did before the season, and it's not really because of you know the three point shooting or, or the rim protection or, or all the other stuff. It's really just because I don't know if Anthony Davis is going to be healthy, and I think that leads it. You know, like he's supposed to be a top five rim protector in the league, and part of the reason that they've been a weakness this year is because he's either been not around or not really that effective when he has when he was playing. And yeah, of course, there's hope and belief that he's going to return, and they're being cautious with him, and and when it matters, he'll be there, but. But that's not a certainty. And the fact that that's not a certainty, you know, that throws the title hopes out the window a lot more than like this role player may be overperforming or underperforming here or there. Like that is not only just, you know, his health is not only just massive to this season, but, you know, he is the superstar that they're kind of reforming the next era into. They just signed him to the huge long-term max. Like his health is monumental. And this was a bad 
first half for that. You know what's interesting about his injury is it's not something that's really that tangible. You know, it's really a a sore strain. You know, it's not something that you can point to and say, oh, he's got a torn hamstring. That's a four to six week week injury. It's not a broken bone of some kind, you know, where, where there's a timetable, it heals and you get back on the court. You know, the Lakers gave a timetable for him and it wasn't really tied to your natural progression where it's like in three weeks, he can get back on the court. He'll need another week to, you know, get back into shape and then he can play games again. My sense from listening to the way they've talked about it is that this is strictly a month of rest for him to get as good as he can because you're playing on the, on the calf was not helping anything. Obviously there was a risk of, I think the unsaid thing is there's a risk of it turning into a torn Achilles. So give him the four weeks, just shut down to completely get as strong as he can and then put him back out there. But your point is well, is well made because there's no, there's no guarantee that this is something that won't flare up again or be persistent throughout the year. And then if you've already established that it's something that could maybe lead to a torn Achilles, and I'm I'm putting myself in the mind of the Lakers a little bit because they haven't said this about the Achilles yet, but we've seen it in the past with, with your guy, Kevin Durant. Um, what do you do in the playoffs? If the same thing flares up and he does something where, you know, he lands awkwardly like he did against Jokic or steps awkwardly like he did against Jokic and he feels it in his Achilles, you almost have to shut him down. I mean, you're, you're on the first year of a five-year max contract. Like, how do you, how do you not? And so I think, um, I think, I think, I think that's a, um, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I, I've looked at it more as they'll get through this stretch without AD and as long as he's healthy for the playoffs, they'll be fine. But that, that, you know, as long as he's healthy is doing a lot of heavy lifting there because, um, again, this is not something tangible where you can just say, oh, a sprained ankle is four weeks. This is something that we don't know a lot of, a lot about. Scary part of the body and it's a chronic sounding term i don't know that's yeah you're right though like that that is the biggest concern i guess like i i was i i guess the the way i was kind of framing it and i'm i guess i'm sure bill would agree was like kind of trying to look at tactical things that would kind of concern you moving forward but in the grand scheme if ad is not healthy like th- this team is not winning the title my biggest i think my biggest negative uh for the season is global warming not the <laughs> pandemic I don't know. I mean, no, well, well, I mean those, are the, 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 those are the two. <laughs> those second. are the two. Those are the two. <laughs> Zero fans in Staples Center. Yeah, that wasn't that that wasn't a great part of the opening or the first half. I'd say there's a few media members who show up in 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 Kobe jerseys, so there's yep. like zero fans. Oh my! Deep Shots. deep cut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So the Warriors think that they might be able to get fans back in chase by like you know, some point in the second half of the season. I mean, the numbers obviously are going in a good direction. The vaccine has been ramped up. And the Warriors are in the same state as the Lakers and really, you know, in a city that has taken it about as careful as any city in the nation. So are you? do you guys get a sense, like, maybe by near the playoffs, the Lakers could have some amount of fans in there? Yeah, I mean, listen, like, I, you know, very loosely following sort of the trends, you know, listening to, um, you know, the... The, the conversations around, you know, schools reopening and things like that. I would think so. I, I, I you know, if, if every American adult is supposed to have the opportunity to get the vaccine by the end of May, I don't see why there wouldn't be an opportunity to start letting fans back in gradually, um, you know, we, you know, with whatever you know protocols are, are necessary. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't be able to at that point, if people can you know demonstrate that they are vaccinated, social distancing, mask wearing, all that. Um, I think I think that things are trending in that direction. Uh, I don't really see why you wouldn't unless um, unless the infrastructure isn't in place to 
to support that. And we've seen around the league that te- teams have been able to do it. And I think, you know, every team that doesn't yet have fans is, is preparing those contingencies. So I would fully expect that, you know, by the postseason that you're going to see, you're going to see a few fans in Staples center, not a full house, but a few fans. I have one last uh, first half wrap up question for you guys. As we look forward to the second half, this Damian Jones roster spot, will it, will it remain in the hands of, of former warrior Damian Jones or not? What are your thoughts? I don't see why you wouldn't give him another 10 day. I mean, he's only played, he's only played three games. Um, unless you have a longer term, you know, solution, I think you'd give him another 10 day coming out of the break, especially since you're not going to have Anthony Davis back right away. Um, that would be my thought. The 10 day expires over the break and then you give him a new one, um, you know, on, on March 12th and, and give him, you know, an opportunity to shine. Uh, I was, I thought he was good in his first two games. I was disappointed by his uh, performance last night in a, in, in a start. Uh, he only had one rebound and a block and otherwise was uh, largely absent. Largely absent. <laughs> yeah. I asked Frank Vogel about this post game where I said, you know, what, what did you think of what Damien has done over these three games? And what are the odds that he's part of this team's longer term future? And he said he couldn't say for certain, but that he thinks Damien should be optimistic. Uh, so that that sounds like to me, as Bill was implying, like he should get at least a second 10 uh, day contract, uh, at which point I don't know how that works with the all star break. Like, does that. I assume it's when they resume, it would kick back in, right? Or I, I don't. I actually think it counts over it, but but as Bill was saying, you cannot give him the second ten day basically until the start. So yeah, even if the so, one expires, you can wait to start the clock on the second one until like basically game day of the first game of the second half. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I I think. I'm not as high on him as uh, Lakers Twitter, where people, <laughs> I mean, pe- people have taken it overboard with, with like the photoshops with, with him as like the next Lakers great big man. And I, I know they're kidding, but there, there have been some people that are like, oh, he's the answer for what this team needs. And I, I think, he, like, yes, in that he has the skill set that the team needs, but he's not JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. And, and I don't even think he's 70% of that necessarily. So, I think he's a guy that you can probably plug in if Trez or Mark goes down or, or fouls out of a game. Like, sure, he can play some spot minutes, but I don't fully feel comfortable with him in the rotation yet. So my guess would be they give him another 10-day, give him a couple games to see how he performs. And, and then at that point, it's going to be interesting to see what they do just because you know we're, we're talking about names like Andre Drummond or, or Blake Griffin, uh, PJ Tucker, like potentially being on the buyout market. I'd obviously rather have any of those guys. And I think it's going to be telling what the Lakers do uh, in terms of, you know, are they confident they can get a buyout guy or or do they feel like, hey, you know, we're just better set keeping Damian because they do have another roster spot so that they they could sign someone else and and technically keep him. But I think they'd be better off probably signing another wing. So I think, you know, if I'm looking at those final two roster spots, it's probably a big and a wing. And if Damien's the big, then I think we know what they're doing with the other one. But um, this also brings up, I'm curious for, for uh, Slater, what you what you think of Alfonso McKinney, because he's been on the team all season. He, he's been a rotation guy the last two years. This feels like an old school Warriors podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> so he's been a rotation guy for the last couple of years with uh, the Warriors two years ago, the Cavs last year. This year he has not played at all. And then randomly kind of comes out of nowhere last night and i i know they were you know shorthanded and uh, a few guys were out of the rotation but 
has a season high 11 points and a season high 11, uh, 16 minutes. And I got like seven questions last night about why isn't he playing more? Why isn't he playing over Wes Matthews? Like, so w- w- what's your kind of impression on Alfonso? And, and does he have potentially a back end of the rotation type role on this team moving forward? I mean, Quinn Cook has been, has been thrown in the mix. JaVale <laughs> McGee over there. Like, it's wild what the Lakers have done with like former fringe rotation pieces for the Warriors. Um, Alfonso McKinney had a role on a title Warriors team, be, or I shouldn't say a title Warriors team, it, the team that eventually lost to the Raptors in the final, the third Durant team, as a pure energy wing who just hustled. He just hustled all around the court at all times. He would fly in for offensive rebounds. He actually had a big offensive rebound in like a West Finals game, I remember. But they got to camp the next year. Uh, this is a, you know after he played a, a solid role that they, they they found him out of nowhere and, and gave him a spot uh, in training camp that season, and um, he was cut before the next season because he when you when you have any need for creativity on the wing any type of uh, offensive punch or you know skill with the ball in your hand or like you need a stopper like he's not that at all he's just kind of like a hustle fringe piece that can inject some life into uh, a rotation or a season where you need some juice you know the Warriors just kind of needed energy that season uh, and he would provide it but when they got to camp, they're like, well, we need more on the wing. They needed an extra big. They cut him and put Marquise Chris on the roster. So he's not an answer. I'll tell you that. Now, can can he come in in a playoff game and, and fly around on a on a night? Like, let's say the Lakers are down 12 in the second quarter and they just look lifeless. Sure, you could put Alfonso McKinney in. He might get a couple hustle offensive rebounds, a put back in, or, you know, pass over to LeBron. And then the whole team's like, yeah, like great play, Alfonso. And then suddenly the team's got some more life. Like that might happen. But he's not a 20 minute a night answer on the wing. Um, to me, like that's where the bio, you know, Trevor Ariza or something is like a more likely guy to help regularly in the playoffs. And I've gone down the uh, Alfonso McKinney and Damian Jones road <laughs> for the Lakers over the last few weeks. Like I'm really, uh, you know, I'm bringing this knowledge uh, of of past Warriors ghosts. I don't know. I feel like we could have just like probably spliced in some old episodes of of. Um of your podcast uh, in, into this and we'd be getting the same, the same takes, but yeah, no, it's, it's I, I knew we kept you around for some reason for Alfonso McKinney and Damian Jones knowledge. Good podcast. First half of the season. Got into a lot of stuff here, fellas. I mean, this is, this is beefy. I mean, we really are helping some people out on their morning commutes at the end of the week. Agreed. All right, let's take next week off. It sounds like <laughs> the Lakers aren't working next Tuesday. Neither are we. All right, guys, uh, for Bill Orem, wait, I am Bill Orem for Yovan Buha, Anthony Slater already said my name. Uh, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, congratulations to Jovan Buha on being honored by the Associated Press sports editors for his story about the Clippers falling apart last season. Big top 10 finish for Jovan. Uh, go read that story on The Athletic and all of our other work. Uh, we will still be busy over the All-Star break, and we'll see you when it's over. Thanks for listening.